Hello folks, this is Jake J. Thomas, and I'm here today with Forrest Eggleston. And uh, this is the Energy and Joy podcast. So first off, let me have Forrest here introduce himself. Hi, I'm, I'm Forrest Eggleston. Uh, I was born in Carmel, uh, three blocks from the beach in Carmel, yeah, Carmel by the sea. I actually have a longer name. Uh, Forest, Raspberry Sage, Dolphin Tree, Tom Bombadil, McPadden, Eggleston, and wait, wait, wait. Can we go through that? Yeah. So a little bit. Forest, McPadden, Eggleston is is what's on my birth certificate. Okay. Um, but as I was said, being born at my grandparents' house right by the beach, there was um, raspberry and sage growing in the backyard. Oh. Wow. And then three three streets down, we got the beach, and there's dolphins, and of course a bunch of trees around. So my dad added the raspberry sage dolphin tree. And then that was must have been when I was like two or three years old. Then uh, when I was like starting to read The Hobbit and stuff, we uh, we added Tom Bombadil from from the J.R.R. Tolkien books, and he's like the protector of the forest. And I think at some point I asked my dad, "Yo, could we put something from The Hobbit in?" And so, and that was about it. It didn't really get too much like consideration for a number of years until my cousin Zeroche kind of took it and ran with it and uh, when he visited India he taught like 25 schoolgirls um, my full name because <laughs> they love like Americanized sounding long names and so they all repeated it and from there it just kind of grew and and became my full name. Wow that's a great story. Okay so grandparents uh, how did your grandparents end up in this area? What did they do? Well, they're originally from Glendale, down LA area, and uh, my grandpa had a metal detector shop, hmm. um, Goldak, and then my grandma's mom, my great grandmother Vivian, um, she was originally from Minnesota, and I don't know when she came out this way, but she had a little um, a little cottage. Um, right next to the main house I was born in and one day she was out gardening and her neighbor, I guess this is how real estate changed hands back then, which was like the 40s or 50s, he opened the window and said, hey Vivian, I'm selling my house and she said, I'll, I'll take it. Nice. And uh, so when she passed away at, at uh, 99, which was like I was 13 years old or something, my grandparents came up to, to they sold their house in LA and moved up to the Carmel house. So, okay. Yeah. Wow, interesting. And so you mentioned your cousin, and so that's your. That's my dad's brother's kids. Okay. And so, tell me about your dad and your uncle. Well, my my dad and my uncle are both woodworkers. Um, my dad works on the lathe doing wood turning. Mm. You know, it's like a. Like a motorized like. A, spins the wood on a on a chuck and then you so like carve like legs of tables. Yeah, like anything that. round. Like yeah. um, spinning tops, containers, bowls, goblets, stuff like that. Mm. And um, he's been working out of the Carmel wood shop at, at the same property where I was born for a number of years. Wow. Pretty much my whole life. So deep deeply rooted in the region. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And then my uncle Bob um, is like a cabinet maker and he does really fine woodworking and um, yeah, really accomplished with the all kinds of woodworking stuff and yeah. 
That's amazing. I'm curious because I know in your generation, I know at least three of you guys are artists. Yeah. And so that usually isn't like a coincidence. There's got to be some sort of encouragement or guidance or energy. Right. You know, I'm curious, what, what do you think fostered that potential for you guys? Well, it definitely a lot of it started with, with our grandpa, Grandpa Herb. Um, you know, he did the metal detector company, but he was like a, a woodworker, maybe kind of hobbyist style, but he'd make really cool pieces, and um, and that got kind of passed along to to his kids, uh, my dad and uncle. And okay, cool. So he's he's sort of the origin of that. Yeah. Your, your grandpa. Yeah, and he actually also um, did screen printing. For I guess for the Goldak, they would do certain of their their instruments had like screen printed on metal, like the because back then printing like that was the way that you printed on on objects, mm. and so they had a little screen printing department at the the shop, but then they would also make like Christmas cards and stuff like that. So wow. um, that got my dad and uncle into screen printing since way back then. So oh, I'm actually a third generation screen printer. Whoa. Yeah. So your dad and uncle have done that as well. Yeah. Wow, what a trip. Yeah, we have like a, a binder full of their old um, Christmas card prints. I guess every Christmas they would print on paper and really cool little designs and stuff. This is so fascinating to me because it's like, first of all, it's for an art, it's hard to find artists, but then when you have a family that's sort of nurturing that, it's like you got to figure out what's going on there because that's that's super cool, and especially uh, you know, kind of like a, more of like a working class. I mean, he, he was a business owner, yeah, but small business, entrepreneurial spirit, and just that kind of from the ground up art process. Yeah. It's really interesting to me, but it's also interesting that the, it's a family thing. Like, uh, I've been doing some work with uh, Zach Weston. Yeah. And it's interesting how like they've carried on the tradition Definitely. of photography in their family, and so it, it's almost like you just you need somebody to give the green light at a certain point. Yeah. But um, so that's really relevant to this whole situation because part of this today with Forest here is the origin story of how we even got here to begin with, right? Yeah. So your grandfather is responsible for us being here today, in a way. It's true. Because he, first, in relocating here and starting some screen printing, getting your dad, your uncle into it, led to you getting into it. Yeah. Which then leads to... Chris getting into screen printing, which is how this place exists. So let's talk about that a little bit. All right. Well, there through that, um, there's kind of a missing link, which is Dan Heron, who had mm -hmm. a the Alice in Wonderland shop in Carmel called the White Rabbit. He had that for a number of years, probably 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. And um, he's really the one who got me into screen printing. I think maybe it was later that I learned about my dad and uncle and grandpa's his and grandma's history with printing and which just um you know inspired me even more so like wow i have more history than with this than i even really knew mm. um and i'd been hanging out with dan uh 
we would paint like painting canvas and um he lived like two blocks up the street from from uh the house i was born at mm. so i would be over there a bunch and um he had been telling me about this the his screen printing equipment from up in washington that he'd done a bunch of printing up there and at the time it was in storage while he was focusing on his his uh, alice in wonderland gift shop and he kept mentioning like yeah we'll get it out of storage sometime and um then i fell off a cliff in big sur i was out we were hanging out at the spot called elevated beach where uh, sand gets blown up on the on the hillside and wait so how, how old were you at this point i was we like gotta slow I this part of the story down. so i was about 20 or 21. okay yeah and we were actually down near cornucopia the health food store in carmel mm -hmm. there's um now it's a subway next door it mm -hmm. used to be a cafe and there's this courtyard area mm -hmm. where my buddy luke lamar was painting a mural and so the the cafe was giving us food and um and we get to hang out there like all night working on this mural he was really doing all the the painting on the mural i was kind of helping out and uh our friends picked us up to go down to to have a bonfire kind of party at the elevated beach mm. which we we'd been to before um this time was about 30 people and we're hanging out around the fire and there's like maybe five of us were about to run down the hill to go explore and all of us being skateboarders and kind of competitive we were running and jumping over bushes and none of us thought the elevated beach there's cliffs nearby we just didn't consider that mm. and sure enough i ran off the cliff oh wow and it was about 40 to 60 feet down oh, wow. um cracked my head fractured my skull do you remember the event I remember leading up to it, I was, um, I jumped over a bush and, and it kind of scraped a scab I had on my ankle from yeah. skateboarding. Yeah. And I, I you gave, felt that. Yeah, I gave pause for a moment and think, oh, it stings. Like, sh maybe I should have, like, you know, uh, considered it. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Kept going. And last thing I remember, I guess when uh, traumatic experiences happen, the brain has a way of, of blocking that out. Right. Because I remember, after that, I remember coming too down on the beach mm. and uh three of my best friends came and, and helped save my life uh, they were there pretty quick about yeah luke was the first one down and he um the lighthouse at point sir would circle around every so often mm. and he illuminated me like crumpled on the rocks down oh, there shit. and but maybe with blood spraying out of my head and, you mm. know looking like i was dead yeah he got me up and got my hands in the water and then i was awake wandering around I wasn't in pain or really scared or I was just you were in shock. yeah totally in shock yeah. and complete near-death experience I was um yeah. when my friends were were calling the for the ambulance I felt like their voices were coming from light years away in different directions oh wow. so with the stars out in Big Sur it was oh wow yeah it's getting mystical yeah oh, and um I chose to live that night Boom. And participated in saving my own life. That was like helped help jump on Travis's back. He would climb up the cliff, would reposition, get back on, and he got me up there right in time for uh, the ambulance. And That's dope, dude. I was in a c solo car wreck when I was 17. Rainy road, <coughs> three in the morning. Slid a, a truck sideways, fishtail, and then overcorrected and slid it sideways into a redwood. 
and his old truck, no seatbelt. So I went across the cab, broke the window with my head, yeah. and cut my neck real bad. But at first, again, shock, yeah, adrenaline. Popped out of the truck, thought, oh, looked at the truck, I'm like, oh, the truck, oh no. Then I look at my shirt, like, oh no. I, I sat down, I thought yeah. it was the end. But that's interesting. You reminded me. You said I decided to live. Yeah. Because I was deciding to die at that moment, and then I said, "No, bro, <laughs> this might not be it. You gotta yeah. try." And so then I decided to live. And so I went up, knocked on the door. This lady opens it up and screams, slams the door. Yeah. I don't blame her. I'm just yeah. drenched in blood. Next house, knock on the door. All this pot smoke comes walking out. This guy goes, "Oh shit." Get a towel, hide the shit, call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> and they brought me in. <laughs> they put a towel on my neck, and I was fine. And then, you know, you know, everything that came after that, whatever. But interesting that, yeah, we both had a kind of a serious accident as we were early in becoming men yeah. or becoming adults. Um, definitely was a pivotal moment for me, and affected my art production and a lot of things so yeah having that moment to reference is really something empowering and you know to there was early in recovery I was wondering if there would ever be a day that went by that I wasn't affected by it or that I thought about it and a few months later I I was pretty much all healed up and it yeah didn't um, didn't have negative effects on on me through I came real close to getting brain damage from skull fragments and stuff but wow thankfully see and that's that's the, that's one of the things too right because it's like this scar goes right across my jugular so it's like yeah. fuck how did I not hit it you know yeah but so it's kind of one of those crazy things where it's like bad luck good luck mm-hmm. right something very bad happened but you didn't die and it easily could have like everything yeah led to death in that moment but we didn't die yeah. So that's kind of <laughs> it's an amazing thing, yeah. right? Like, it's a bit of a message in there, probably. I I bought, I always took it that way. Yeah. Of, well, that wasn't my time. I got stuff to do. Right. That's what I felt like. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that energized me. Yeah. Motivated me. Like, fuck. First of all, slow down, bro. Yeah. That was a big thing for me too, and it's not. I don't know that I got the lesson right then, but same here. Just in general, that lesson has percolated through my life of like boom, you get excited but you don't have to be in a rush so that was a interesting pivotal moment for both of us Definitely. so hello we're being joined here by an artist here at the shop and so, uh, let's have you introduce yourself. Um, Bring that mic a little uh, closer to you. That's like interface, that. isn't it? <laughs> we're, we're just telling some origin stories here. Oh, no. But uh, you don't have to, so... What kind of origin stories? So, Forrest here was telling me how he got into screen printing. And uh, that led eventually to Chris getting into screen printing and the establishment of this place. So we're kind of just tracing the history back. 
I don't know that I have that much interesting history. The, the cave series that I'm working on right now, I used to do um, a lot of caving when I lived back on the East Coast. Okay, so well, hold on one second. First... Oh, first, I'm T. So, Anderson. Okay, T. <laughs> Anderson, and where do we find you on Instagram? Or how do we At Blue T Studios. Okay, and spell that out. B-L-U-E-T-E-E-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. Okay, so at Blue T Studios. Yes. And you have a show coming up here when? The 12th through the 14th. So this weekend. So this weekend? Yes. Nice. <laughs> and been seeing, been seeing uh, images of the work coming out looking really cool, man. Thanks. So, uh, so much left to do. I just built 12 frames, and it's the first time I built any frames, so oh, wow. <laughs> it was big. <laughs> nice. So. Do you make the inner frame and then stretch the canvas on uh, it, or is it the outer frame? Oh, this is... Uh, I have a couple canvases that I stretched. Um, I have a 5 foot by 5 foot that I've stretched, um, but this is actually like a show frame okay. on the outside, so... Nice. So yeah. how, well, how do you come by the name? T? Yeah, blue. blue tea. Well, my name is T. Okay. And I used to have a blue period where I had a blue mohawk and a blue beard and mustache. So oh. I just kept going with it. <laughs> so every artist has their blue period, right? Yeah, okay. nice. <laughs> and so obviously color is a big part of your content. As, yes, definitely. And I like to do things not in the colors they should be. So if it's an ocean, I'll probably do pink or something different. Nice. I don't like doing the same colors, which um, sometimes people don't know what it is because it's not the color they expect. Nice, nice. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm inventing a term as we go. Okay, so I see it as it's chromatic surrealism. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to coin that. <laughs> I, you can't. I just did, and we recorded it. Nice. <laughs> but I'll give it to you. <laughs> you got it, dude. Chromatic surrealism, because that's the strong hit I get from looking at the work is like surrealism but you can't quite figure out why but that's why it's the color it's the color that makes everything otherworldly sometimes people just say I should have took shrooms but no <laughs> so, so how, how did you get to this point in your process like what led up to this series what led up to this series a lifetime of hardship no um you know, uh, my wife got me oil paint about three years ago, and when I switched from acrylic to oil, my whole life changed. Ah, um, nice. Good so, work, wifey. Yeah, so color was really a big thing once I got to oil. And what was it about oil that changed that for you, you think? Um, the way it blends and it stays wet longer. I usually, um, I don't draw anything out before I paint. I just paint it. So nice. I don't make any sketches or anything. And oil allows you a longer time to work with things. It's not dry right away, you know. For um, sure. So. But so to me, okay, to me, that's not intuitive. Because a lot of times what oil does is people end up making it muddy. Because it stays wet, and so they end up overworking, overworking, and then the colors blend and it gets muddy. Yours is like chromatically bright and brilliant. So I'm curious as to, you know, how how did you decide to stay? Yeah, in other words, you had to work against the medium a little bit to get 
No. No? No, not for me. Okay. Um, you thin it down a bit? Uh, I like to do a lot of pellet knife, which I actually add a cold wax medium, so I actually make it thicker. And okay. then sometimes I do thin it. It just depends. And then every paint, it has a different viscosity, too. Yeah. And especially different hues, too. So. All the way. All the way. Comfy with that mic there, T. <laughs> so, name of this podcast is Energy and Joy Branding. And uh, I'm curious, first of all, with energy, what, where do you get energy from? How do you, well, when do you feel most energized? I'm an avid surfer, so I oh. spend a lot of time in the water, and I'm actually starting to paint fins and surfboards. So nice. that's fun. Nice. Um, that's like my relaxation place, really. Mm. Um, What's your routine? Do you have a set time you like to go? or? The ocean tells you when to go, oh, which is something okay. that is um, not really my style, like having to... In life in general? Um, yeah, I guess I kind of like to just get stuff done. You and like a structure schedule? Oh, no, I don't like it structured. I just pack it full and, um, you know... If the waves say you can't go, you can't go, and it's like, oh, you gotta wait. So I guess I'm not patient. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah. So that's the hard part is, is waiting for it to have that window. Yeah, and you kind of just have to do what it tells you to do rather than telling it what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting power exchange for sure. <laughs> and I mean, the ocean obviously is very energizing, and especially if you're getting a ride from it. Yeah, somebody, um, one of my friends is really into grounding, which I'm not a very spiritual person, and I'm not really into that kind of thing, but they're pretty sure I get my grounding from the ocean because of the yeah. electrons or negative charge or whatever that is. Yeah, well, that's, that's science too, right? Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, grounding is a, it's an electrical thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you like can't you, drive your car without it being grounded. Yeah, you, telephone poles got to be grounded. So we are electrical beings, and so makes sense on a scientific level to me that all the I mean but I just bought that line too the negative ions <laughs> I jumped in the ocean at uh, Pfeiffer Beach like on Saturday mm-hmm. and I felt a real difference from before I felt a lot different and better and the ocean has that effect so. did you do it with a wetsuit no I jumped nice. in naked oh that'll get you really yeah. energized <laughs> you know, there's some energy and joy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely yeah being out in the elements with nothing that's that's raw yeah I, in and out real quick you know oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know when <laughs> I, I first moved here out there for too long. <laughs> when I first moved here there was a guy in this Silomar an old guy in a in a speedo thong and he was in for like an hour and a half Dude, wow. some people are gnarly. There's this guy <laughs> up at uh, Pleasure Point. He used to go out to this spot called Rockview. Marty the Mechanic, R.I.P. And he was a mechanic who had all his stuff on his bike, right? So he would roll up to you and fix your whatever you needed fixed, right? But he surfed every morning at this spot. So he rode his bike out there, went out and caught some waves, no wetsuit. Then they started his day as a bike mechanic. And to me, that... I mean, he got a plaque. He's got a plaque there now because people just respected that so much. That was how he started his day. You know, and I, I, I just respect the heck Better of than that. coffee. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So much better. Okay, so that's 
Now, what about your style of surfing? Are you what? What do you like to do? Well, I'm trying to make a comeback from my latest injury, but um, what, what is that? I did a Masanueve fracture night surfing. Um, what so kind of fracture? Masanueve. I don't know what that is. Uh, basically, your fibula breaks, and then every bone in your ankle comes apart. Oh shit! And unfortunately, it was on a one-foot wave, but. <laughs> a little on sometimes. Huh? Uh, but yeah, so that was um, April twentieth, and so I've only been in the water for about I don't know three, four weeks now since mm. then. So. Well, that must be a nice return, huh? Yeah. I mainly um, take my longboard out. Um, so yeah, cool. I'm not into uh, big waves and dying, you know. Yeah. Five six foot. That's that's my sweet spot. So. So you do it more for the energy, the meditation, the being with ocean. It's not like a soup. You're not trying to work on performance stuff necessarily. I, not necessarily, but yeah, a little bit, you know. A little bit. I'm more into um, just staying alive usually. It's a good goal when <laughs> dealing with the ocean. You always have, yeah. have that priority, huh? Yep. Okay, but now how how about how does that work? How is that showing up in your work in the painting? Well, I had done a lot of ocean scenes, um, but it gives you more of the movement of flow because it's like water, and I think that's kind of how I get my blending style going. Mm. It's just you know you flow with the energy of it, so I can usually paint a lot better after a surf session than working. <laughs> that's for sure. So. Interesting. So, so you feel like the ocean teaches you in a way about energy and flow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you gotta move with it. If, if you try to work too hard against the paint, you get the muddy paint, right? Yeah. If you let it do what it wants to do, then you win. Interesting. Okay, so I see. There's some wisdom there in terms of giving some autonomy to the medium. Yes. Nice. You can't really force it to do what it's not gonna do. You know? it, boom. You know, as far as this podcast is about marketing, and you know, it's just really that's kind of encapsulates part of my philosophy, which is that it's not about spamming people or getting your stuff out there obnoxiously, you know, going against what people want. It's finding those places where people want what you're doing, right? So it's sort of respecting, like, the public as a medium, right? There's parts of that public that want what you're doing. Right. And so it's just finding, navigating, finding where that energy will fit with what you're doing. I mean, marketing is what I'm the worst at. It's just not my forte. I need somebody young who's into that kind of thing. <laughs> why, why, do you, why do you think that is? What is that? Uh, well, I have facial blindness. Um, pretty bad. If I see a picture of myself and I didn't know the picture was taken, I don't know it's me. Okay, wait, explain that to me. I don't have no idea what it's, that means. It's something like propagonasia. It's basically I can't remember faces. Okay. Um, so, like, even people that I work with will come in and tell me who they are. Um, because I don't remember what people look like. So, mm. um, even myself. <laughs> so. Wow. It sounds like that's an extreme form of, like, I've heard varying levels of that and people having, like, tricks, uh, mnemonics, or something where you attach... Yes, something to like help jog the memory. Does do any tricks like that work well, for you? It's or? not like if you took one face next to the same face and you moved the eyes closer in one or the other. I can't tell that 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 they're any different. 
Um, so mainly it's like hair or talk or um, people's gait. But I went up to Bodega Bay and um, we did. I was surfing um, North Salmon Creek and me and my friend stopped at this um, fish market up there. And I went in to get something in the restaurant because we were sitting outside and this girl came in and I'm like, oh, they're kind of cute. And I get back to the table and it was my friend. I had no idea. And I went <laughs> there with them. <laughs> wow. That's like some memento shit. Dude. That's an interesting, trippy way to go through the world. Well, a lot of people think like you're just rude. They're like, oh, I'm not interesting enough to remember. or um, And it's like, no, I just literally can't. So it's one of the reasons I usually don't paint people. Um, I tried to get away from that in a couple of my K paintings and actually paint people, but like they're just not interesting to me because they all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that may be the case, but I want to see your portraiture now, dude, because to me that's fascinating. Well, I did. There's a self-portrait in the shop right now. It's um, that I did five years ago. That's like it looks like a hammerhead shark kind of oh. on the wall. Um, so I don't do realistic. Self-portraits. <laughs> Not yet, but I don't know. Dude. I mean, I, I don't know that there. I could. <laughs> that's exactly why I'm curious, because it's just gonna be different. Whatever you do in that realm is gonna be different, and that's obviously that is a gift, right? Because you know, the, there's this book called The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown, and it's kind of like the things that we sometimes see as our faults are actually maybe our superpower, especially as artists, right? Because, T, I knew you were different from your work. Because I looked at it, I go, oh, there's... First of all, I just want to compliment you. I think the work is... Thanks. Top-notch, dude. And I just genuinely resonated with it. But that's why I love doing a podcast. Because I had no clue who you are. I just knew I liked the work. But now it's even... It's way more compelling to me, right? Yeah, I, you know, around this area, you get a lot of, like, the Carmel artists who do just the seascape and that, and kind of want to bring something different than the Lone Cypress over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, 100%. And that's interesting, too, because, so this area I'm getting to know, and it's very, you know, I love it. It's so interesting, but there's there's a lot of things about it that are curious to me as far as, like, there's a mixture of, a lot of different things, right? Like there's old, old art from turn of the century, right? There's the West and the, it was an artist colony. There's Jack London wrote about the artist colony here from way earlier. There's right? Robert Louis Stevenson also. Robert Louis Stevenson. So there's this like old, old tradition of art being made here, but then this also is where this place sparked the hippie movement. Right, yeah, the pop festival, Jimi Hendrix playing, inspired Woodstock, and so many people came across the country to the West Coast, and so then you have this sort of interesting, funky, hippie element here too, right? And how all, the, but then you also have so much money here, right? You've got Pebble Beach, you've got, you know, this. So it's just a strange, interesting combination. And then you got the military. And you got the large military. military presence. Yeah. So to me, it's like this really interesting kind of jump, you know, gumbo soup that I, I I can't quite figure out yet. But getting to know you, I can see 
how in that soup of things you would want to be yourself, which is different than a lot of the other things, right? Like in Santa Cruz, we got a strong tradition of plein air painting as well, which I don't want anything to do with myself because it doesn't. That's not what I resonate with. But so that's cool. So differentiating yourself through color, still doing the landscape, but painting from imagination, yeah. Yes, definitely from imagination. Um, and sometimes I um you I have a very bad sleep. Um, I suffer from chronic nightmares. I usually have eight to fourteen at night, which I'm told it's not possible, but it is. Um, so sometimes I try to stay on the lighter side to kind of balance that part of my life a lot. So. Interesting. So you, you go for a less harrowing subject matter. Keep it a little bit more whimsical, a little lighter. Um, it just the balance. You gotta have balance in life, you know. I don't need to relive the nightmares. I live them every night, so you know, yeah. having something a little bit more positive helps. Do you? What is your? Have you just accepted that you're gonna have nightmares forever, or do you have any? I'm pretty sure I have some kind of neurological disorder. Well, that's what facial blindness is, oh. and um, I also suffer from familiar tremors. So you know, which is another neurological um, thing. So I just assume there's some part of my brain that's damaged from being premature. Maybe when I fell out of my bunk bed when I was little, I could only see black and white for one day. Like everything was like a black and white TV. And, uh, wow. <laughs> well, you're awake. I've heard of black and white dreams. Yeah, I never like in waking life. It's actually a type of color blindness, and there is a painter who suffers from um, uh, facial blindness too, and it's that kind of color blindness does have facial blindness with it too um, but he actually paints portraits I know so uh, luckily my color came back so maybe that's why yeah. I paint in bright colors because oh, I saw black and white you lost <laughs> it a little bit like fuck yeah. let me get back to that interesting yeah, that's super interesting so how many pieces do you have for the show 20 20 pieces yes 20. big body of work it's a huge body of work um yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, still got a lot of prep left to do, but so I took Tuesday through Monday off so I can prep and then have a day of recovery. <laughs> and then what about, so what are the price range for your work? Do you have a, um, it's, gonna be, it's for sale, right? Yes, everything's for sale for the right price. Right? <laughs> um, I think my cheapest piece right now is about 600 and then my um, top end is 1600 there's nice. a big range. Yeah, so for any art collectors out there, this is a good opportunity to get some, start collecting this very interesting and individual artist here. You know, definitely if uh, I was in the position to be starting an art collection, I'd grab one of your pieces, D. Well, there's always prints. They're, they're a lot cheaper. So okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll, I'll grab one of those. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, what else? I want to hear about the cave, cave stuff. Yeah. At some point. Okay. So I've been in California for 11 years. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, so I did a lot of caving when I lived on the East Coast. I've done over 500 different caves. I used to do mapping. I do dig trips. I found Pennsylvania's largest anthracite crystal. That was Whoa. pretty cool. Um, I have a buddy in West Virginia that has a cave. He could fly 737 through it. And you can't like see the ceiling or the walls. It's got a double 
horseshoe waterfall in it. Wow. I fell 40 foot in that cave and broke my tailbone. But um, that that was... Um, that must have been scary. Yes, but it was the first time I went to do that cave, and I wanted to be able to come back to do that cave, so I caved for another six hours, but I could not, like, stand and sit for, like, eight months. Wow. <laughs> so, so what's your passion for caves? Um, every one is different. It's kind of like every break is different, you know? So, um, I'd have one where I'd have to take the helmet off and squeeze through a really tiny hole, or, you know... Ones where you repel. Did some French arm repelling one time, which is intense. So, wow. No, no, they're all so different. You know? That's amazing. And so you obviously are comfortable without being able to see much. Yeah. It's pretty dark in there, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually I went ziplining. Um, my wife went for the first time, and the guy's like, "Oh, at night we went," and he's like, "Turn off your lights. It's so dark." And I'm like, "No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, you haven't seen anything dark until you turn your lights out in a cave. You're a connoisseur <laughs> of darkness. <laughs> yes. That's interesting. Uh, that's a much more extensive caving history than maybe anyone I've ever talked to. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> My um, favorite cave is called uh, Warm River in Virginia. So they're all private caves. I don't like commercial caves. Um, Whoa. But <laughs> Warm River is um, a cold spring and a hot spring, and then they form an 85-foot waterfall. But you have to swim down like 14 foot and find the hole in the wall, and then when you come up, you're in a whole other cavern, and then it's got like rimstone dams that are like big hot tubs. and most what? people go naked back there, but I never wanted to fall. And yeah, <laughs> I never wanted to fall in a cave naked, so I was like, nah, that's not for me. But <laughs> yeah, I'd take my clothes off before I even got in the mouth of the cave at that point. Well, you know, because it's cold till you do that dive and come up, then you hit the hot spring. So. Dang. And then how do you get out? Same way you You're came not in. Back through that hole? Yep. Like going against the current? Yep. Wow. Is there any air? Like, how do you breathe in there? Like, in is a there cave? a hole out the top of, like, where you go under the water? There's got to be some... I mean, there's probably critter holes somewhere. Critter holes. Damn. There's not another entrance scary. back there. Yeah. So. Sounds pretty frightening. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the cave. Some of you can do three trips, you know, drop in one entrance, come out the other, and some you got to go in the same way you came out. Yeah. I've done a bit of cave exploring out in Big Sur and... Uh, when I was traveling in Vietnam and Laos. Nice. Um, what kind of caves do you do in Vietnam? You know, <laughs> there was once, there were some really big caves in Vietnam where I was looking at uh, guided tours. Mm. We didn't end up doing that. And now I'm kind of unclear on actually if I did go to caves in, in Vietnam. No, I did. The, there's in Cat Ba Island, uh, there's a spot called the Hospital Cave where during the war they um, were. <clears throat> we're using it as a hospital and a spot to hide from the um, from the bombs. And uh, it was cool. We did some light painting in there. I like set up the camera on a tripod with a slow shutter and had some color change LEDs and we're like painting in the um, in the hospital cave. Oh, nice. And they had you know rooms um, like cement rooms with hospital beds and mannequins to kind of show what it used to be like during. So yeah, that was wow. that was the one I totally remember. So were you photographing the light painting? Just yeah. Like long exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I have uh, a little series of, of photos of wrote cat paw on the wall, 
Those would be cool to see. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those. For yeah, sure. I'd like to share them with you. Yeah, we gotta get those up somewhere. Yeah. The only um the cave that I broke my tailbone in when you, you hiked in for eight hours and then they had a base camp and they had a still and they had their big blown up air mattress like queen queen size air mattresses and stuff. <laughs> so that was that was pretty neat. But no hospital caves. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like a tuberculosis, just hide the people. <laughs> so we've been joined by Chris Powers. How's it going, Hi, Chris? Me. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of uh, discussing some of the origin stories. So Forrest was telling me about. That's how caves came up, huh? Mm. <laughs> Katie well, <he> joined us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting parallels for sure. Un, un, you could, you would never think, but there's definitely some interesting parallels here. Nice. Um, <clears throat> they're both kind of gingers too. <laughs> Me? Yeah, you dye your hair brown. We all know it, too. <laughs> no, I no, I have dated 13 redheads and married one, so. Whoa. <laughs> Lucky number 14. I've heard that story before. Actually, pre-shop in the in the uh, park, the oh, yeah, parking the lot barbecue stories. at the house. Yeah. I heard the redhead uh, break off. That's a uh, tease delight. Apparently. <laughs> That's... That is fascinating. Uh, I never even knew about facial blindness. That's that's a new one to me. So that that puts a whole different little twist on looking at your work. I thought he was making it up when he first told me about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still spect skeptical about it a little bit. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a brilliant excuse. Uh, it's good. I don't really care what you think. <laughs> Get that a lot. Oh man, awesome. So let's go back to where you guys met. Let's not do that story. <laughs> <laughs> we lived in the same trailer park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we. I think he was talking about Forrest and I, but this is oh. actually oh, maybe, I, I, but maybe even yeah, a better story, story, to yeah. be honest. Forrest, <laughs> Forrest, Forrest, Forrest. Let's do yeah. Forrest and we can no, skip mine. Let's, let's kick <laughs> it off with the trailer park. Yes, to the trailer so That's park. a nice starting point. Trailer park boys. We were uh, having a barbecue in our trailer park driveway, mm -hmm. and uh, my girlfriend and our roommate, Bianca, were lit, like, lit to the point where they're standing in the driveway trying to give anybody that walked by or drove by a shot of vodka lit, okay, you know? And uh, T fell victim to that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about the other night, actually, I was like looking at some of your, your art on um, just on Instagram and like the flyers for the show that's coming up this weekend and stuff, and I was like, remember thinking, like in meeting you in a trailer park and dealing with my girlfriend drunk and you drunk and everybody drunk and you were telling I think I was like going off and painting or airbrushing and like doing my own thing and like kind of coming back out to the barbecue and you were like oh painting and you started talking about painting and I remembered thinking like this dude is full of shit like I don't want to like hear about his fucking painting bullshit like and then like when I was looking at it the other night I was like wondering to myself like dang I wonder how many people I've like brushed off as being full of shit that are actually super talented artists that are, you know, developing like into this time. That was like maybe two years ago I met you, two and a half years ago. 
I something time like is that. not good with me. Yeah, so. something like that, and like you know, now I, like you're an artist, I highly respect. You know, and and definitely a large part of our mix here in the shop, and like thinking back to like you drunk and telling surfing stories and then talking about paintings and me just like brushing you off as like maybe a dude that had a cricket machine in his house and <laughs> like, like I don't know I it was it's, it was a weird like flip around I actually noticed that last night in my head like uh, pretty crazy that's such a cool point to make too I've definitely had that experience numerous times where I didn't appreciate what somebody was from initial impressions and then over time through the work yeah like whoa there's a lot here it's heavy yeah well, i will say that was a very bad impression of me oh, I mean, that, that was that was the best you i've seen yet like that was the you i'm trying to kick it with uh but that's like first impressions matter but they also sometimes are very not revealing Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about that, too. I broke a little bit further into that. I was like, dang, I wonder if, like, like just the, the connotation of being in the trailer park, mm, like, the attributed to it. Yeah. The context, yeah, yeah, for sure. Or if I, like, took that in as as a thing, like, like uh, this is what we are because we're here, you know, and I considered myself an artist and respected myself, but, like, I looked at people that were in the same place as me as like that's impossible because we're in the trailer park in Seaside, <laughs> you know, like when he's more legit painter than I am by a long shot, you know. It's it's an interesting way to like I don't know. It's a good yeah, very self self reflection as yeah. far as like where we make our judgments and when yeah. we're wrong. Because sometimes you can be wrong the other way too, right? Oh like, yeah. Fully. You think somebody's like hey, solid Respectable person, and you know, and it turns out they're scumbag. Yeah, fully. <laughs> or you find out they have a bunch of other people doing their work, and then they just sign yeah. it. <laughs> I think, I mean, and Teal, Teal really recognized about this, but a uh, big shout out to Phil the gardener in the yes. trailer park. Oh, I nice. think he hasn't got the recogni recognition uh, he deserves yeah. based on the fact that he only gardens in the trailer park. Mm. He's super OG, you know, if you ever get a chance, swing by Phil. Get nice. him to do your gardening. That's rad. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different workers who are doing amazing stuff and go yeah. unappreciated. Yeah. Or overappreciated because they're doing work in a place that gives them that look, you know? Oh, so true, man. The way we value work differently based yeah. on context. That's why I'm a strong advocator of the shop maneuvering our next location or hub being an art gallery in Carmel. Yeah. yeah it'll yeah. it'll put a you know, a times ten on the value of any piece as long as it sits I guess it's in that really smart one square mile. And having this as like a place of production and creation. Yeah. Because there's kind of that too, right? Like Yeah. Holy. Yeah, I think that, that that'd be a great combo. Yeah, I don't think we could um, I mean maybe we could but I don't think we could have easily as built this kind of environment in in Carmel right off the bat right. but like using this to launch off and then start maneuvering that I think is going to help us a lot you know sounds like a great plan like working around the edges and closing in on exactly when I had an art studio in the barnyard for a couple of years and I would call it uh, East Carmel 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I, there's, a, there's definitely a difference between that one square mile of downtown Carmel and the rest of Carmel. It's almost like, uh, I'll break it down to like anything that's east of the Valley Road is like Carmel Valley at that point, you know? Or, sorry, east of uh, Highway 1 mm-hmm. is Carmel Valley, and anything south of the bridge by Safeway right there is Big Sur, uh-huh. you know? And then, like, even the, the neighborhoods, like the hills or, like, around Carmel, like Pescadero and all that stuff, it's like, you know, that's just, like, Airbnb territory. <laughs> it's, like, different, like, you don't even have to, like, deal with that in the commercial way, but that's, like, a whole other ballgame zone. But, yeah, like... The crossroads and the barnyard are like super rad, special, especially the barnyard. The crossroads is cool, but still like maybe trying a little hard to hold on to that downtown Carmel thing without the downtown Carmel clout, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But the the barnyard's like a super super special place. For it's sure, it, it's got some charm down there for sure. Okay, and so then let's jump into how you guys met, Boris and Chris here. Yeah, uh, Carmel downtown. Yeah, a, n- a name that uh, that won't be revealed on camera because he's part of a predominant family in Carmel Valley. Uh, referenced me to find Forrest as a good person to get stoned with. Oh, nice! And uh, <laughs> and uh, so the love of cannabis. Yeah, at the time, yeah. I'm not a. I mean, I'm not a cannabis hater. I just don't. I don't use it anymore. But um, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, I mean searching for the next joint every day <laughs> like at the time you know and uh, um, I like kind of heard stories like the legend of forest you know and uh, like redhead dude like doing this this stuff and uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. say more what, what was the legend? Of oh, I mean, there's like a, a variety of things like you. I mean, we'd have to do maybe do a whole nother podcast, but I mean, anything from, you know, like falling off of cliffs to intentionally jumping off of cliffs and skateboarding and just being a savage and a wild all man. kinds of a wild like, boy. A wild boy, yeah. yeah. A wild yeah. boy, but also like living in the heart of downtown Carmel like as a functioning like underground artist that you could get stoned with like Mm. I mean put all that together and this is like pre-weed being like you could walk down I could walk from here to the bottom of Ocean Avenue with a quarter pound jar of weed in my hand and a cop probably won't even stop me you know like this was like you know you might you might get wrapped up for a 10 sack time so you know this is like 16 years ago so yeah, yeah. um a whole different world. but uh, i was working at a coffee shop right down there um the carmel on, plaza on which was right near my no apartment. no no, or no different here i was uh, I, I mean i was like kind of bouncing back and forth between their ocean avenue location and the plaza but when i met him i was working at the ocean avenue uh carmel valley coffee roasting company right there on ocean and uh i'd like gone out and i was like smoking a cigarette for the break and I seen this like short little he was wearing like a you know triple XL everything kind of like just like swimming in his clothes you know they call it oversized oversized yeah (laughs) plus size Uh, walking up the street. Well, that was like a skateboard vibe or skateboarder or just his well, own Well, his own, like, his I mean, maybe, thing. you know, yeah, he's a skateboarder and he was doing it. So definitely yeah. there was a skateboard vibe. But uh, 
we hadn't met at this point or even like known what each other looked like you know and uh he you was had a bit of a description on you though yeah i had a, yeah but like hair. i mean i hadn't seen a picture of you or anything yeah. but like yeah redhead skateboard dude but even when i met him it was like kind of different than what i i don't know i pictured something a little darker you know like in mm. in like uh the way he carried himself but that's not what what was like brought to attention when I seen him you know I pictured someone as maybe like skirting on the edges of society and he was like plowing through with like 10 extra yards of fabric on him that he shouldn't have had you know like it was nice. it was definitely different than what I pictured but he was walking up and he had a two by four with trucks on it like a, a good size one like maybe this big you know <laughs> with trucks and maybe even longer I don't know this thing and I was like I was like hey forest and then he just like walked up on me like we were homies like oh what's up dude you know like you know that type of and uh we just started kicking it pretty tough like i feel like we started hanging out pretty tough like almost every day after that you know nice yes what, what kind of what year was this around uh it would have been 2005 2006 yeah 2000, I the apartment. 2005 i'd say like was was the time yeah nice yeah okay and so that just loop back looking back real quick to what you were saying before of like first impressions and how people change the more you get to know them yeah that's why i think it's so valuable to have long-term relationships in fully. the arts right fully because you can't you can't replace that and like yeah. being able to trust somebody absolutely in this industry is so key yeah being able to trust somebody yeah. in anything <laughs> where you're doing something that's above the bottom tier you know like when you're on the when there's nothing you know it's like if you're nothing to going to clock in and you're like maybe trying to get like a dollar raise over the course of a year and like no matter what that looks like if you're getting 500 an hour or or minimum wage like there's something a, a bit of a disconnect and like yeah, there might be some politics in those five hundred dollar an hour jobs for sure but uh you know there's even if we make five dollars in a day we're you know you in this industry and, and in, in any industry where you're making moves for yourself um you're dealing with politics of of great intensity for like any level of or amount that you're uh you're making so yeah finding a solid core community and people that you can not only hang out with as your friends but operate and maneuver and make money with is crucial so key not just for the rising up but which is important too like you know having a dude for everything you do or a chick or whatever like yeah. a, a person that can actively do something better than you or make what you're doing better but for like the sanity of like having friends you know it's oh, exactly yeah yeah somebody who understands what you're going through and yeah can relate yeah yeah that's super key definitely so back to the scene on the beach real quick forest so that was a a rough moment I imagine it was probably rough for your friends, maybe even more than you. Yeah. yeah. What what eventuated from them from that experience? Was that you still know them? Still? Yeah, actually, I just 
came back to Monterey Peninsula um, from Humboldt, where my buddy Travis, who was the one who was the most instrumental in saving my life that night, Travis Barter, he has a ranch up in, in Humboldt where he's been growing weed up there for the last 18 years or so, all organic, sun-grown, mountain style. And yeah. so I was up there for uh, for the last year and a half or so. And yeah, we've been, you know, we'd been really good friends before that experience. And we both have orange hair and participate in similar activities. And Better watch um, out, T's gonna be after you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> orange hair, doubles, <laughs> twins, wrong <laughs> gender. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we were we were um, bound to be lifelong friends. However, however it go, it was gonna go. Yeah, um, nice. That that night though definitely Submitted created a bond it. of like yeah. uh, brotherhood in, in a different way. Yeah. And um, there was every time I talk about this night with someone who was there. I tend to learn another mm. snapshot or, or mm. uh, view of it and yeah. a little detail or something. Even when I tell the story again, uh, I tend to bring stuff up, you know. Yeah. And I was having breakfast with Travis and some friends up north, and uh, he told me about how, you know, they had initially gotten to me, got uh, splashed the water on my face and my hands, and had me lucid and walking around, and this was 2003, so cell phone service was um, spotty. Like it still is in Big Sur. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Somehow it was one of those Nokia brick phones that has, like, I guess it has good copper wire or brass wire in the antenna. Mm. They were able to get a call through. Shout out and Nokia. <laughs> Nokia. <laughs> yeah. And there was, it was too foggy for helicopters, um, but an ambulance was on the way. And I'm sitting there next to Travis. We're down at the beach, and Highway 1 is up there, a, a ways up at this point. Mm -hmm. And Travis sitting next to me, he said, he was thinking about procedure and how when uh, when they showed up, it would be search and rescue, and they would, you know, roll out all their ropes and equipment, and because of the way procedure works, it would, he basically was looking at me, and he's forced his dying, and if I don't get him out of here, he, he's going to die. I can't wait for search and rescue. Um, and so he started spotting a course, and we ended up uh, climbing up together maybe the first 10 or 15 feet, and I jumped on his back, and then he carried me out the and up a really steep cliff where he, you know, he's, he's one of the most um, capable, athletic, like, tree-climbing, building-climbing, like, flipping an axe around, all kinds of stuff. He's... He's beyond average with with all that stuff. You can't fall off a cliff. You need a dude like that around. Yeah, he's like <laughs> the best person to have. Yeah. And um, he said that there was a moment when he was digging his hands in, like hard-packed dirt, slippery, and struggling with everything he had and my weight on the back to get uh, up. Yeah. And he reflected on all his, um, all his time training for wrestling. And he thought that he had goals of, like, the Olympics or whatever that that was all leading towards. And he realized in that moment all that training was for this moment right now. Yeah. That's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah, and he, he got me up out of there. They put me wow. on a stretcher. And, and then, because of procedure, they 
you know, he handed them over to me. They put me on the stretcher, and when they were passing me over the barbed wire fence, um, they had my head tilted downwards and my mm. feet up, mm. and he said blood was coming out of my head like a faucet. Ooh. He's like, well, guys, you know, I just brought them all the way up here. Are you going to do Don't that? Don't kill him now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Well, wow. the, the cool part about it, and Forrest doesn't really tell this part of the story moving forward in the years, is... He didn't learn his lesson about falling off a cliff. <laughs> like he's like due for a cliff fall any minute now. <laughs> like he he likes falling off a cliff. It was like something changed in his brain that night that made it so not as big a cliffs maybe, but like he likes to take like a good fifteen foot slam periodically, maybe even a little bit bigger if he can get his hands on it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just what's that about? <laughs> I'm not so sure that it's that what it's about. Yeah, there's some truth to that. It, it <laughs> must have to do with um, the with skateboarding and and throwing oneself around in different terrain, especially the style of skateboarding that that is what I'm about with dirtboarding. Um, mm. Learning how to fall in dirt and slide and roll with it, and um, I guess just taking that to different terrain, getting that kind of ragdoll, loose, tumble action in where you can to kind of train for prepare for yourself the for the inevitable falls that'll happen dirtboarding. So you're you're part of that whole movement. Yeah, and he is that movement. Is that right? Maybe the baseline of that movement. Wow, because when you talked about the two by four. I jumped there immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That Anyways. was when I was riding more like street skates more often. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I was actually the coffin board. Because I had a coffin. It was definitely a, it was a piece of board. lumber. Yeah. Like, it was like, first, I didn't even notice the trucks when you were walking up at first. Like, why is there a two by four in this weird little ginger guy's hand? <laughs> you know? And then I saw the trucks and it was like, I know who this dude is. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, okay, so Forrest, I want to get into your art practice a little bit, too. Okay. Is, you know, <clears throat> before I met you, I was just in looking around the shop, I was looking at that work, and, you know, and the, the paperwork in the corner was interesting to me, but I, I, was, I wasn't aware quite that it was a work. Yeah. And the plywood one, I've definitely been compelled by, standing outside nice. there just looking at it. You know, to me, I, I wouldn't even know how to describe it, but it just looks like art. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, when I see it, it's like, just cool art. But it, you're working with different media, you're working with different... So how do you even begin something like that? Like, um, loose, keeping it loose, and I have different... I guess it depends what medium I'm working in. Um, like the the final result, what it's going to look like. But usually, if I'm painting or drawing or airbrushing, I'll start really loose and kind of go wild with the line stuff, and then see something in there and start carving out more, adding color or you know. And nice. I, I can do that without thinking about it or planning it. And I'd like to refine and, and focus in on certain other styles at some point. Um, for now and for over the many years, it's been something that I, that often, I guess, if I'm a bit inspired or feeling in the right mood, I, I can do it without um, 
really having to to think about it too much. And that's just kind of that's what happens. That's dope. And so T, you've got that chromatic surrealism, your own style, and that that sort of is coming out of the tradition of surrealism, and maybe like Bay Area, the use of color is kind of related to that. And but then Forrest, you're working abstract. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that to me is interesting. I love abstract work, but you almost see it as like it's hard for people to know an entry point into it. Yeah. And, and I think partly it's like it's almost like people at some point start out thinking that art is like a talent. As, as like a purchaser or as a creator? Both. Because I think that doing like something that's looking real is like a way harder to find an entry point into. I do both abstract and like chromatic. Whatever trailer guy, stuff. you're probably just lying. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally lying. No, but um, I, I like doing the abstract because it's completely outside of your of the head and you don't really have to. You can just be free and flow. You don't have to reference yeah. stuff so much or yeah. plan it. Um, or maybe and sometimes know. it just looks like crap and then you just paint over paint it. over <laughs> extra layers extra texture for the next piece a lot of times I, I'll find I'll use you know that kind of painting as a, an undercoat yeah and you know, can scratch some textures in it too and it bring that layer out so. I'm gonna break off guys I just wanna stop in and say what's up good, good, back house. House. good talking to you <laughs> yeah thanks for gang gang bitches but so, yeah, so part of what I'm curious about with the abstraction is, uh, did you st did you like abstract work before you started doing it? Yeah, um, I guess I was originally influenced by kind of like graffiti s stuff and um, characters. My buddy, one of my best friend Gabe Severson's older brother, Eli, had this friend Jamie, Jamie Brill, who's from Ohio or mm. Cincinnati. And he um, he did a bunch of spray paint bombing and painting and drawing these characters, these faces. Um, and he actually showed me the the loose kind of like uh, I guess with a pencil or pen, doing a quick. Maybe you've seen like for face um, for cartooning. There's like the oval and then the lines where the eye, the nose, and the mouth go. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you do kind of a quick like jumble gest gestural of, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, of a, you can do these in, uh, intertangled lines, but forming a rough kind of head or globe shaped, um, and that's, that's the start for picking out an interesting face and find out where the eyes or nose, lips go. And I was really inspired by his his stuff and I started messing around with with that style and pretty much just that's been like a, a basis of a lot of my work so it wasn't his and his is more refined like I tend to have an excess of lines um, that last through to the um, or they carry through through the piece whereas his you didn't see so much of that maybe it was lighter in pencil and then it would like really defined other you know books he would do like a turtle or other dinosaurs and different stuff and uh, yeah so uh, was I looking at abstract art or I don't know you know and that's 
I didn't ever really think of it as I'm looking to do art so much. It was, like I said, uh, being inspired by the kind of graffiti type culture. It was mm-hmm. also with skateboarding mm-hmm. and then backpacking, hiking. Um, I wouldn't think I'm going out to go for a hike or I'm participating in hiking. It was just an activity, something I was naturally drawn to. And I feel like that's kind of how it was with art, too. Mm-hmm. I didn't like think of it as even doing art. It was just it was an activity. It was kind of that was fun and cool and that my friends or people that I looked up to and was inspired by were doing something that I, I wanted to do also. And I started doing it without giving it too much thought or planning. and. And then, and I didn't know where it would go. Um, then I started learning about different mediums, like, and screen printing came along, and um, then printing in general, and found that, uh, get, you know, get some good responses to some of this stuff, and just kept going from there. What were the some of the early good responses? Well, um, I'm curious, well, the reason why I, I focus on that is yeah. because back to the energy and joy, yeah. Sort of, you know, we do this stuff partly because it gives us energy, and but then when there are certain things that help to amplify that, right? Definitely. Like, like even you know, you don't do it for the money, but making a sale, like somebody vo- making valid your effort yeah. by choosing it and putting some money behind it, that gives you some joy, right? Like, yeah. oh, I get to do another painting now, right. and you know, now this one exists somewhere. Somebody's gonna enjoy it. Yeah, having someone see something um, in your uh, work that you created that that you didn't even see, and hearing them describe it to you, there was an early moment when I had that happen. Uh, I went to Karma Valley High, and they had a pretty cool art um, class where there was all kinds of free. Uh, it was my first time having access to all these tubes of paint and, and a room where I could. Um, get loose with the stuff and and not have to procure the supplies on my own and that really opened up uh, a, a lot of freedom to to experiment and, and have fun wow 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 you, you see that you know art, arts institutions <laughs> schools that you know that's just evidence that that works you put someone on a path that they will continue for the rest of their life and just that opportunity that moment the origin story that's yeah. so key. Yeah. I had a teacher in seventh grade, and I had liked doing art, but I always hated my art. And she taught me the value of contrast. And then I was specifically like a charcoal drawer for a long time after that. But I probably would have gave art up if it wasn't for that one teacher. Nice. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great reminder, too, of, like, the impact that you might have on other people, right? Like, be be kind and generous when you can if you want to be that, you know, that element in somebody's career. I mean, no, obviously, it's got to be authentic, right? It wouldn't have worked if that teacher didn't really see something. But when you see something, encourage it, you know? It's... We're all in this together, and you know we we help each other. So the little moments like that, finding a moment in your own story where somebody made a difference, is is nice because it illustrates how easy it is to make a difference. 
She was free. literally like 60 seconds. <laughs> you know? Like literally, hey, you can just add some charcoal. Wow. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> boom. And then, boom, you're off to the races. Well, okay. Now, what about T with your abstract work? How do you... How did you come to want to practice that kind of style? Well, I had started abstract um, first because I just didn't like being stuck in a box. And nice. I want to have to try to make something look like something. Some freedom, <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, just really, um, actually, my surrealistic stuff I've been doing is probably only about a year old, maybe two. Mm. Um, I just found abstract more free, and I actually think it's harder to make something abstract look good because people don't know what it is. So they don't, you know, if you make something and somebody can relate to it, they're more likely to be like, oh, I like that because there's something they can relate to. If it's yeah. abstract, you gotta make something compelling that somebody has no idea what it is. It's just a jumbled bunch of whatever. Yeah. You know, and if you can make that work, I think that's a lot more impressive than doing. You know, why do something photo when it, there's cameras? Everybody got an iPhone. You know? <laughs> like, I totally agree. But I think that that's why I was asking how you get into it because that is a barrier, right? Because for other people, it's like I think non practicing artists or just the general public kind of view art in general as like a talent show. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, how good at this are you? And that's where the value of the thing is going to be. As opposed to, you know, if you're creating something that has no reference, it's not really comparable to anything, how do you know how good it is? It's only in reference to your own work, right? And so it's harder to get people to enter into the story of what the work is about, to see the merit of it. Because at first they go, I don't see skill, I don't see talent immediately because they think well drawing is like representing something and so it takes them longer to recognize the language that's working in abstract work to see oh no this is talent this is artistry this is mastery of its own language right so it's like i i really strongly guess that i could recognize your guys's work if i just saw it out in the world because you have a language, right? And it's it's an abstract language. So even in the work you're doing that's realistic, it's such a strong decision with the color that I would recognize a, a blue tea painting. Well, that's good to know. Um, I don't abstract was just it's something I still really really like to do. I guess I just go through phases. I don't know. Um, but it's also the whole market thing. Like, uh, apparently it's a lot bigger in Europe than it is here. <laughs> right abstract now. work? Yeah, so, I don't know. But I see some abstract, and I'm like, wow, that's a pink square. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so I guess I'm judgmental, too, so, you know, everybody is. Yeah, we've all got our limits to what we accept and what we can get into. Like that, the blue square painting? The one that's just that one color blue? And then everybody did it. Oh, was that Eves Klein? Eves Klein created his own blue. There's now, yeah, in the, in the pattern, and then somebody made the world's darkest black. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. So, 
But no, it was like supposed to be really good because they did it in oil and it was one consistent blue without having different. So apparently it was like some kind of mastery to be able to do that. Um, but I don't see well enough to appreciate it, so I guess. <laughs> well, have you seen the original? Maybe that would make a difference. Oh, I no. did. Okay. I forgot which museum I was in and saw it, but yeah, I did not. That didn't, it that didn't, didn't change things for me. Yeah. No, no. I s um, when I first saw Andy Warhol pieces mm. I, at the Bellagio in Las Vegas, it was a uh, his show traveled through there, mm. or whoever curated it um, had a bunch of his uh, screen printed works. And before that, I had, you know, I was familiar with the Campbell Soup Can and the Marilyn Monroe and the et cetera, like, screen print stuff. Mm -hmm. I really didn't, I respected uh, what I'd known of his, I didn't really think of him as an artist so much, like, in the sense mm -hmm. that I was accustomed to mm -hmm. until I saw that, that show. Mm -hmm. And I saw, like, I saw the um, screen printed... And I, I must not have seen um, reproductions of the actual work that was at that show, or maybe some of it. Anyway, I, I was blown away. I saw that he was painting through the screen, the color blends and the mm. the way it was laid on there. It was amazing. I I looked at I I was moved by the the works of art. They were they were completely like it. It was no doubt that he's an artist at that point. And before I wasn't so sure. I thought, you know. Yeah, you know, you get definitely some work you got to see in person to get it. And I think that may be the case with your work, actually. Yeah. Um, T, your work represents pretty well on Instagram. You can kind of get the vibe of it. Uh, definitely more impact when you see it in person. But Forrest, because of the, partly it's the scale, right? Like the big plywood yeah and and because there, then you see there's like a physicality to the line right but so besides here first of all people should come to the shop to check out your work and to check out T's show this weekend yes they yeah should. I'll definitely be checking that out then and where else can people find your work first um, I have a bit of stuff on my Instagram uh, it's at the underground forest nice. so that's the underground forest with two R's and came up with the name during a, when I had the art studio on the barnyard, it was in the basement under a shoe store. Nice. And so it was really dark down there and kind of like a cave. <laughs> <laughs> and we went out into the backyard where we'd smoke and, and hang out and was leaning against this rock and I, I just thought of the name, the underground nice. forest. So. Nice. Yeah. It's a great name. And that's one place to find stuff, I guess, uh, for now. and. There's a bit of stuff around here at the shop. There will be more. I plan to do some more work on that plywood piece, kind of dial it in. And then what about your, are you doing screen printing stuff of your own? I'm getting back into it. It's been been a while that, that I uh, haven't screen printed um, and been appreciating it and the whole culture around it and without personally being the one doing it. Yeah. Um, looking forward to getting back into it. I don't know, I guess I'm almost like maybe a bit intimidated by or like having lost the the flow and the the initial like um, freed freedom. There's something I actually told 
powers a long time ago when I'm not clear on exactly how this all went. He's, he's reminded me of it. I basically told him we were making a screen and we are trying to come up with what the art was going to be and, and I told him something to the effect that, you know, it doesn't even matter too much what the image is. Like, once it gets printed, um, it has, it's kind of like magic. It's mm -hmm. having the way the ink lays down on top of the fabric, it gives it this extra uh, validity or quality, you know, because it's printed it it takes on its own life and it just makes it makes an image or a drawing way more cool once it gets printed so and that so and that was part of my spirit of being like free and and willing to to run something without giving too much thought and through the years I think I know I've lost some of that so um, maybe it's time for me to reapproach with a with the, the beginner's mind. Nice. Or try something completely different with screen printing. True. Have you ever screen printed any of your art? Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's been a long time. Because long time. I could see, I don't know, maybe even just a little section of that painting would look. You could probably do like a series of shirts from that painting. Yeah. I would wear those. I, I did this, it was probably my masterpiece out of the Underground Forest studio, was a triptych, uh, three, three foot by ten foot uh, pieces. Panels? Panels, yeah. It started as a drop cloth that I stapled to the wall and painted on over probably about five weeks. Um, mostly airbrush and then a bit of tempera and other, like, complete mixed media. However, there was um, a good bit of screen printing that I put a screen right up to the wall, maybe had a friend help me oh, hold wow. it in position and then screen printed and did nice. repeat screen print on the piece and uh, the actual screen was um, pretty much just had the screen on the ground and took the emulsion the stuff, the photosensitive stuff that you burn the screen oh, with sick. and dripped it on the screen and Dude. drew with the drips and stuff. And you gotta do some more of those. Yeah. I want some of those. So you actually drawing with the screen printing medium. Yeah. Well, drawing, um, making the screen with the medium rather than coating it and developing in the dark room, just dripping it right on there, letting it harden, and then printing through it. I love that. It's a very unconventional use of that technology, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, and there's also the the emulsion dries in this particular way where it looks almost plasticky. Uh -huh. And I've done some stuff not on that big triptych, on other pieces though, um, where pouring the emulsion itself on a piece and using it as paint. And that's wow. a pretty cool look too. It looks, you know, you can see the difference in oil mm -hmm. and acrylic or any medium. The emulsion just has its own look, so much different than than any of it. Almost maybe encaustic or the waxy type I stuff. I want to get an encaustic. Yeah. Encaustic and uh, installation art are the two next <laughs> things I want to do. <laughs> Talk about that. How is that? You mentioned that you put wax in some of the paint. Is that what's leading you to uh, well, encaustic? No, I just seen people do it on YouTube and was like, I'd really like to do that, but like mm. get an encaustic setup. So a little yeah. bit pricey. Mm. Um, probably could do it now. I don't know how the wife will feel about that. But um, it, I just always have liked wax. I used to make candles. Um, mm. So I tried to make a, a Phantasmagoria candle and failed, but there, it's like with a big five-gallon bucket of water and then you drop the wax in and spin it. Oh, wow. um, they look really cool. I could never make one, but I tried real hard. But 
What about the installation? Um, when I lived in Pennsylvania, um, I, there's this place in Pittsburgh called the Mattress Factory, and it's an installation art place. It's kind of just a hole in the wall somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it just was an amazing experience of the art that was there. And I really want to do it. You just need like a big place and a place to do it. Maybe in Fort Ord before they tear all those buildings down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we kind of did a little one here for the Heart Show last year. And I did a tire swing. And then I did one that was a record. It was because it was Valentine's Day weekend. I did one that was um, 45 records. And I cut them all in the hearts and then did spin art from like a fair so I just put them on a record player and you could drop paint on them. And nice, that nice. Was, that was, was, I guess I called it the love, the love of music so I just did like hmm. stuff from when I was a child, you know, rope swinging. And it was rough. Did you do that at the fair? No, we did right. it right here in nice. the shop. Um, we tied the, a tire swing to the ceiling where the mural is in the back. Um, and you get um, on the tire swing and hover over the piece or? Yep. Nice. So. <laughs> And then the other was just like a record player with some 45s. That like is fair funny though, dude, like because <laughs> that almost reminds me of. Now that's that's super cool, but it also reminds me of the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Don't know this scene. I've seen it, but I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, I have dude. a bad memory. So, so there, the Big Lebowski is partly making fun of art in a really funny way though as artists you can't have to laugh at it but there's this actual scene where there's this woman she's a conceptual artist and she does her art by swinging and the oh the one who was going to make the vagina was that that movie was that <laughs> it? i think that that's part of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's classic just that there are that movie was kind of making fun of the idea that you know you can do anything for art but G genuinely you can and that sounds super compelling but what would be an ideal space for you to do a kind of installation like if you were looking for your installation space what would it entail I mean it would probably be something like an, an outdoor event I'd like to do one at a music festival would be my favorite especially if it was um, some Chicago house music that mm. would be uh, nice. my jam <laughs> interesting so yeah. Why is that your jam? Oh, I've been in the house music since the early 90s, since I can remember, honestly. Um, so I used to, I actually broke my um, ankle four years ago, break dancing. <laughs> uh, you're way so many different things that I never would have guessed. Uh, yeah, so I don't break dance anymore, but... Um, you're broke dance. I broke dance. Um, I just always liked house. And, yeah. So. Nice. Okay. So that put it out in the universe, and maybe that that's something that will emerge. Uh, a house festival. Looking for installation artists out there. We got <laughs> one right here, <laughs> chomping at the bit. Um. So Forrest, you've recently relocated back down here. How's that going? How's the transition? It's it's going good. Yeah. It's you know a little. A little weird finding my rhythm here with a, uh, I got a motorcycle, a dirt bike when I was up in Humboldt mm. and it needs a little bit of work and new tires and so I haven't had my own transportation um, and I was visualizing zipping around the peninsula on the dirt bike and it will happen. That's, it's just, yeah. I miss my motorcycle. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
So aside from that, um, the not having my own ride at the moment, um, Powers has actually been coming picking me up, bringing me over here to the shop recently, and nice. kind of settling into finding my rhythm with uh, starting to do some dye sublimation printing, printing on metal, and mm. I can print on key tags, mugs, you know, poly shirts. It has to be polyester. Uh, it's a, a medium, a type of printing that I learned in Las Vegas. Uh, I worked at a print shop out there for a few years and learned a bunch. And um, so you can offer so some some different techniques than are commonly found. Yeah, met metal printing. People are probably familiar with it when they see it, or when they see it. it, it um, but it's different. It's really bright, full-color, photographic um, printing process. And I uh, really want to get my desert on a big piece of metal. Okay. Just, just yeah, <laughs> let's look into it. I'm kind of relearning. Like I was saying about screen printing, I, um, I have so much experience that it's almost maybe some of it can get in the way of like comparing myself to where I've been in the past and being where other people are at with it and getting overwhelmed and so I'm kind of starting everything from, from scratch in a way, or looking to, you know. Well, I'll give you some advice that I got since I've been out of the water for five months and trying to get back, and I'm not where I used to be, and I, at first I was really frustrated, like, I can't turn left anymore, and I don't know if it's because my ankle's messed up or whatever, um, but as long as I stayed in, the, in my head and compared myself to what I was then as to now, I wasn't having any fun. Yeah. Oh, and when I was just like, I'm just gonna go with the flow and do whatever, and if it happens, it happens, and you'll get your rhythm back. Thanks for that, too. Yeah. Needed that's to rough. hear that for yeah, sure. That's yeah. And uh, so, Forrest, um, I mean, it's obviously a big part of who you are, and but now this is interesting because you're you have the most unique urban rural combination that I've seen in a while, right? Because if I looked at just at the artwork without meeting you, knowing anything about your story, it looks urban to me. Like, it has the sensibility of a city. Yeah. And that's probably from the skateboarding mm -hmm. background. But then you're also a wild man of the woods. It's true. So, and, and so you combine those two with skateboarding in the woods. Yeah. With the riding dirt wheels. That's when we were hanging out in Big Sur um, as teenagers, that's where we wanted to be, but we couldn't skateboard out there. And then when I found out about dirt wheels, I found out, best of both worlds, we can be up in Paul, Colorado Canyon, up Green Ridge, or up Partington, or wherever out in Big Sur, and skateboard down the dirt roads, on the trails, on the dirt, and that, that opened up a whole new world for for me and, and our group of friends too. We would have dirt boards around and um, when we went on hikes or went to parties and our friends' properties, oftentimes you'd be going up a dirt road and and it would take you along some some perfect spots where you could ride. And, um, and then it turns out the, you know, California is the best in the, in the world from what I've seen. Um, but in my travels, I found uh, other spots. It, it, dirt wheels are rad because of you can ride on rough, even paved. And you just get you can get around really good with them, and then ride in places you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Amazing, so fun. And you guys have any sponsors who are getting behind this project? 
Well, Platypus Skateboards, uh, my cousin Zarash, mm. has um, actually been making dirt wheels. The, the original, the best dirt wheels that we found were the XT wheels. Um, XT wheels with a Z. Mm. And I think they were the first, and then there was like some, there were some knockoffs with a different tread pattern and heavier wheel. Um, and anyway, XT wheels started in the 80s sometime. I need to get better on the whole history timeline of this thing. Mm -hmm. But that's when they were first around. And then maybe towards the late 90s, these other knockoff uh, coming out of China or wherever wheels, I think they messed with the, the market and that XT wheels company maybe changed hands and went under. Yeah. And um, we kept it alive though like by scouting them out from friends would hit us up like oh i got some in my garage mm -hmm. or we'd find them on ebay and garage sales and um then i don't know how it's been within the last few years my cousin sarosh uh, got in touch with the the original dude the, the inventor of the dirt the xt wheels dirt wheel and came up with a um no no way with a partnership like a licensing agreement where he pays x amount for each wheel that he makes, and so now it's they're making them in LA with Goodyear rubber. I think they had to like find the recipe. The first one, uh, batch came out kind of funny that had to get discarded because it was like uh, they thought they used the formula for like a Tonka truck or a toy car, or like a RC car type mm. of wheel, but it's it's a special rubber they developed back then. And um, so anyway, Platypus Skateboards is making XT wheel dirt wheels now. Nice. So, and then in so like small batches at a time, they go to skate shops up and down the coast, and even in Japan, there's uh, they're selling them out there at times. Wow. And they they've got a website you can check out. Yeah, Platypus. Instagram as well. Instagram, Platypus Skateboards. Have you seen those shark wheels? I've seen the shark board with the fin on it here. You seen that one? But no. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Is it not quite it's a? It's supposed to go on snow, dirt. Ice. I guess I don't know about don't shark know. wheels. They just come up on my on my page, huh? you know. I don't know. And it's a uh, four wheels. Yeah, it's a skateboard. Yeah, skateboard shark yeah. wheels. Yeah. How? What color? How big? Um, they're like, you know, on snow and dirt and ice. Ice. Wow. I don't know. You might want to look at them. Yeah. Uh, All right. Cool. Yeah. Skate on some snow. I've <laughs> got to get back to prepping for the show, but this has been great, guys. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna wrap it up. So that was a very fun conversation, and thank you both for yeah. being here today, totally. getting to know your stories a little bit more, and hopefully we'll continue the conversations. Awesome. So I feel like there's about a hundred things I want to know more about <laughs> of each of you. So thanks for sharing some of your story today, My and pleasure. folks out there, come on down to the shop in Monterey. Uh, if you have any screen printing needs, Chris Powers Screen Printing is here, and you know Forrest is. Are you doing? Are you I'm getting up and going with the sublimation. So printing. any businesses out there who are looking for something a little bit different, some screen printing on metal, um, you know where to inquire. You can find uh, Forrest at the Underground Forest on Instagram with two R's, and you can find T at Blue Tea Studios. Studios on Instagram, and his work will be up here at the shop. 
12th to the 14th? 12th to the 14th, yeah. Friday's 5 to 9, Saturday and Sunday's um, 12 to 5, I believe. Are they doing it with, um, like, waves of people coming through? Yeah, they have, like, an RSP thing, so there's a free tier, there's a print tier, and then there's, like, a wine, cheese, and print tier. Um, so how do people sign up for that? You go to the shopmonterey.com, and it's right on the homepage. You hear that, folks? It's shopmonterey.com. Sign up, come through, and check out some of the chromatic surrealism by Blue Tea Studios right here at the shop in Monterey. Going to be good. That's right. Thank you both for your, your time today. This is another yeah. episode of the E&J Podcast. Wishing you all good energy and lots of joy out there. Until next time, peace.